0: Welcome to the Rethinking Learning Podcast. I'm Barbara Bray, and this is where I have conversations on learning with inspirational educators, thought leaders, and difference makers. Well, I have someone really special here, Dr. Michael Salvatore. I'm so excited you're here.
1: I, you know, everybody says they're really excited to be here. I listen to your podcast, and that's the exact response everybody gives. Uh, and I am excited. This is like a you know a movie in the making in a sense. I've been listening to your podcast, and I'm super excited to be on. Well, can I call you Mike? Absolutely. Oh, Mike, you're just amazing. Let me just tell a
0: little bit about you to everybody because when I met you at ISTI and we were talking, it was almost like old home week. Like I've known you forever. <laughs> So, are you okay? Uh, Micah, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Absolutely, I- yeah. Oh, good. So, well, Micah is superintendent of Long Branch Public Schools in New Jersey. He firmly believes affording children access to modern technology and high-quality content creates amazing learning opportunities far beyond the school walls. And I know you do that. I've heard so much about you. I was so excited when you wanted to talk with me. So. So let me give a little bit more. In 2014, the Long Branch Public Schools were recognized as the first cohort of innovative schools by the New Jersey Office of Innovation. That's really cool.
1: Yeah, very cool. Um, we didn't know what it was, but we were just excited about it because finally people were talking about recognizing innovation in schools, uh, and especially coming from the Department of Ed. That's really where it should come from.
0: Isn't that amazing? Uh, yeah. I. I. I anyway... You're going to be recognized nationally. I know that pretty soon. So Mike was selected as New Jersey's 2019 Superintendent of the Year by the New Jersey Association of School Administrators, of
1: course. I mean, <laughs> welcome, Mike. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm, listen, you've had quite a week, and, and I, uh, I was watching, I was listening to, um, I think, your, is it your most recent podcast where you're talking about being without power? Or was that oh, yeah. a blog that you put out there? Uh, I, I mean, really a challenging week, but you made this happen today. So I'm thankful uh, to be able to share our story from Long Branch because there's a lot of great things happening. And it's just a result of, I think, where education is today. And we are constantly stealing ideas and connecting with people. So hopefully, I'm sure we're going to have a great conversation today.
0: Oh, definitely. Well, I know. I, I'm just excited that you're going to be sharing all the wonderful things that are happening in Long Branch and your life. In fact, let's talk about you. What, what is?
1: Tell me a little bit about your own background. Sure. Well, I actually grew up uh, in New Jersey. I'm one of those Jersey Shore kids. I grew up in a small urban community, uh, went on to uh, college uh, not too far from my home, uh, actually wound up, uh, I lived there, it was in Monmouth County, Monmouth University. Uh, And uh, it was uh, quite the culture shock, really growing up in a very specific urban underprivileged area to kind of go into a private school setting, very, very affluent student body. Uh, It was quite the change um, and quite a bit of reflection along that journey, uh, making sure that I felt comfortable and confident uh, in why I was there and what I was set out to do.
0: Oh, that's a wonderful school. And I'll, I'll be sharing a little bit more with you about that a little later. I just know some really good things are happening there. It, it's
1: <laughs> I, so I also, um, I also work there as well as a teaching fellow and, uh, oh. it's on Saturdays and I work with their doctoral program teaching a course called contemporary issues in education. So, uh, and that just kind of, um, it kind of unveiled itself about four years ago with a new Dean. And he said, Mike, what is something you'd like to see at Mammoth?" And I say, uh, not only just myself, a number of uh, my colleagues said there should be a doctoral program in education there. And there wasn't at the time. And he uh, had the foresight to bring us all in and told us all, listen, let's, why don't you write a course you're really passionate about? So we sat down and we wrote, I think 13 or 15 different courses. And uh, he he really made sure everything got done. And I think within 18 months, uh, he had a fully approved uh, by the state of New Jersey, uh, a doctoral program for ed leaders.
0: I want to take that.
1: Oh, it's, it's really, (laughs) it's the first cohort just finished, uh, actually graduated. And what, it is an amazing school, but I also think, uh, the partnerships they've developed, not just in our district but throughout our county, has been really tremendous, and I really see them as a research school for education in the future.
0: Well, a good friend of mine is Linda Deutsch. I don't know if you know Linda, but I don't. she she just um, donated, I think, a million dollars to Monmouth. Um, she's a re, um, AP reporter, and she's going to be doing a speech there. So I'm going to introduce you to her because I think that would be great if she could come in and. What a good it, friend! I, yeah, uh, <laughs> it's she's a good an friend to have.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: That's she's great. She's amazing. I, I could, that's another story for you, but I'm going to talk about you, not me. Um, what you know? I
1: always ask everyone, "What was it like for you to be, a, you know, as a student?" As I was, uh, I was an average student uh, through middle grades. And I think that's just because at the time you don't realize, but the middle grades are insane. And I have, I have uh, twin boys and a daughter, but my, my twins are 13 now. And I look at them and I say, now I know why I was acting the way I did in middle school uh, as a student because your body is going through so many different changes and you're trying to figure yourself out. Um, The interesting thing for me as a student, I, I enjoyed school, but I like to have a lot of fun too. And that doesn't always mix well when your mother is the secretary of the school. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and I've had plenty of visits to the principal's office, uh, with my tail between my legs because I knew mom was sitting at the front desk and uh, gave me that look as soon as I walked through. So as a student, I tried to be on my best behavior, but, uh, there was something about me that, uh, enjoying myself was paramount in middle school. Um, but high school was a great experience. A uh, student athlete, I mm-hmm. uh, went on to Monmouth uh, was one of my top choices to go to in the area. I uh, played football there for four years, uh, which was a great experience. Mm. Um, uh, and most people don't know that about me because uh, when they look at my profile, they do not see football player in it at all. What was your position? I played wide receiver there. Uh, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Were you – you all no, I, I, I was well. I think I had a lot more muscle than I do now. <laughs> That's the result of being in your mid forties, right? Um, but uh, yeah, I certainly, um, I certainly enjoyed the time there, uh, and and that was an interesting journey in itself too, because I set out as a math major. I entered college, and uh, I knew my strong suit was mathematics. I loved uh, I loved math in high school, and I went on. and The idea was that I would be an actuary. I don't know where I came up with that idea, but somebody <laughs> said to me, "Oh, mathematics! You can be an actuary. You can make decent money." And really, being from a humble background, I was saying I was looking for a pathway to a career where I could make a decent living. Uh, and then my whole world kind of changed. Uh, midway through college, I needed money. Was working at a school on campus as a student helper, and the pay was atrocious because it was uh, supplanted by the university. It was like it was probably four or five dollars an hour. It was like nothing. Oh my! So gosh. you, I went, and there was a school for children with special needs on the campus of the university, and the student helpers would come in and out all the time. We we work as teacher assistants in the classroom, and it's really something that changed my entire life. And I didn't know that at the time. I just. I was working there for extra money. It was really like fifty bucks a week. It was nothing, uh, and then I really just ha- started having those moments uh, where you start to realize you're meant to do mm. something different than play with numbers. Uh, so, <laughs> and that's really what it was. I was sitting in classroom with children that uh, were intermediate level students, um, severely disabled, uh-huh. and. There was just something about the spark when a child understood a concept or felt that you helped guide them there or coach them there. And then they started becoming more frequent, where you had a child who was nonverbal suddenly learn how to communicate to you, oh. or a child who was physically disabled learn to. Uh, courageously overcome their fear of stepping out of a chair or walking. And it was moments like that that I really, it changed the course of my my college career. I, I went back to my advisor after working there for a couple months, and I said, what would it mean at this point to change my major to special education? Uh, and my advisor said, Michael, you're too far in. You just finished Calc 3. You just finished Probability. Why would you go to special ed? It will add a full year onto your studies, and you'll pay for it. And I said to, I said to her, I said, I have to make this change. It's just, I didn't just come in here. I, 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 I feel this, and I need, to, I need to pivot at this point in my life. And she said, well, you originally talked to me when you came in as a freshman about making some money because you came from a poor background, and you wanted to make a living. She said, do you realize what teachers make in New Jersey? And I said, no. No. She said they make about thirty-eight thousand dollars a year, and I said, "You know what? It's more important that I'm working in a profession where I'm making a difference." And and that was true. And that's uh, I shifted. I, I I certainly paid for another year of school. I finished. Um, I finished my four years uh, in football. Stayed on for another year in student taught, and then uh, it led me to where I am today. I actually student taught in the city of Long Branch, uh, urban community, Mm. high poverty. And right after student teaching, I met with the superintendent for an interview, and he offered me an opportunity to work in the school district. And get this, uh, that journey was pretty awesome because I did not want—I wanted to be a high school special ed teacher and maybe teach some math because that's my background— but fate would have it, I was pushed into preschool special ed. At the time, oh. <laughs> it was preschool handicapped, um, and oh my God. it was like a world of, of difference. Uh, and I went into this with the expectations were to get out of it. I said, okay, I'll do what I have to do in student teaching, but I do not want to live here forever. And it turns out... Uh, what was a frightful experience for me, uh, having kids hug you and drool on you and and uh, <laughs> and and eventually love you, uh, that, and that's really what it was. Uh, that made me want to stay there. So after oh. student teaching, I got offered an opportunity to work as a preschool disabled teacher at the time in this city, and I had young boys and girls in the classroom. My first mm-hmm. class was a preschool disabled class for children who were bilingual. Uh, that were from uh, Portugal and Brazil and uh, South America and Central America. And then uh, eventually uh, that was morning, and then the afternoon class was a group of kids who had anywhere from mild to moderate disabilities. And uh, that, so that was um, that was kind of my journey into teaching. Well, I'm going to stop you for a little bit because, sure. um, you know, that must have been a really different. First, if it's bilingual, how did you communicate Uh, Well, so the great thing about um, learning language and language acquisition is that when you're teaching three-year-olds, they're still learning too. I did have an assistant (laughs) in the classroom who spoke three languages, which helped out tremendously. And she would teach me phrases I needed to communicate to parents with, whether it be parent-teacher conferences. But we were acquiring language together. I was learning their language, and they were learning English. Uh, It was (laughs) really an awesome experience uh, for me. Because I was struggling with them, as they were struggling to learn English, I was struggling to learn their native language as well. Wow. Uh, so my vocabulary in Portuguese and Spanish is like a two or three year old. Uh, so don't judge, <laughs> don't judge me for it. But at least
0: you did, and and involving the families like that.
1: Yes. Y- yeah,
0: that to me, that's the only way. That's what we need to do in all all through mm-hmm. K twelve
1: is really get to know the families and what a great way for you to start. You know what to say? I mean, that's what education is today. It's just about mm-hmm. connecting to people deeply and sincerely. And it's not just a... It's just not, We're in a passerby society where so many people are staring down. Um, and I think that... The most effective educators and leaders we have uh, throughout the country, the world, are those who are deeply connected and really care about the well-being and the education Mm. of the children and families who are in front of them. Yeah, I I was
0: uh, asked to do um, a report for some people in Portugal, so it's kind of interesting. I just finished it, and they were talking about the future of school, and I said, I think they're going to be different I think they're going to be more like community learning centers that involve the parents, and they'll be 24-7. So learning is happening all the time.
1: I, th- th- I gonna- think you're right on point with that. <laughs> I, I, we, we know big changes are happening now, but we also, yeah. when we look ahead, we know that in the next 10 years, you're going to see, uh, we already know the information doesn't come from one person. Uh, mm-hmm. And so education has to change, and and I look forward to it. I, I'm excited about it. I don't thi- I don't see a reduction in people either. I think that's um kind of uh, a, a falsehood that people believe. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, technology will re- replace teachers. I think we're too complex of a social system to have robots teaching children. I think you're always going to need people. Oh, I so agree. We just have to make sure that we
0: give examples and provide models like that so mm-hmm. they can see it and, ha- you know, happening before we go on and start, you know, delving into your life. You mentioned your family and I didn't know you had twi- twin boys, you said, and
1: tell, tell me a little bit more about your family. Yeah. So that little school that I worked at in college uh, when I was a senior uh, at Monmouth University, I met somebody who changed my life forever too uh and that was my future wife uh so I met her there she was teaching in the classroom of children with autism and uh she and I, her her and I connected uh on an awesome level and uh we eventually after we we both began teaching together after that uh I was working in the city of Long Branch she was at the private school and uh we would often just talk uh, late late at night about <laughs> the corniest, nerdiest stuff ever would be planning your lesson plans. And so we would say, well, what are you doing with your kids tomorrow? Well, I'm going to try this. And maybe these nursery rhymes are good for you. And maybe these um, <laughs> these activities are good. And I mean, that was like the first year of our relationship. Uh, but it certainly developed to something else. And today we have an awesome family. We have uh, twin boys who are 13, Carmen and Luciana, and my daughter who's 11, mm. Rosabella. Oh, my gosh. I I love their names. Yeah, they're they're a little <laughs> Italian American there. <They're
0: laughs> I love it. They're, they're beautiful. Uh, and and we'll have to get a
1: picture of your family. Sure, it, sure. I bet sure. you they're
0: as beautiful as their names. So that is wonderful. What's your wife's name?
1: Oh, uh, Christine.
0: Christine, not Christine. That you didn't change it, right? No, no, she's Christine. <laughs> yeah. So you started in special ad.
1: What happened next? Because now you're a superintendent. What is, tell me the little journey that got you there. No journey. I just went from the classroom to superintendent. No, I'm just kidding. There was, <laughs> <laughs> there was quite a journey. Um, a lot of positions in between. And I will tell you, Uh, so uh, don't know. I always wanted to be a, a principal. I actually, when I was studying teaching, I loved teaching, but I love the influence that the principal had, you know, and the, the kind of, the mystique of the principal and, you know, it kind of like everybody's favorite uncle, you know, (laughs) I, I love that idea. And, and when I started teaching, uh, I knew right away, I said, I could see myself in that seat really because of the influence they had over the entire school over the culture of how parents felt about it over what was occurring in the classrooms. And I, I aspire to do that someday, the people around me, though, were the ones who pushed me into that, uh, into that pathway a lot quicker than I expected. I was mm. teaching. I was in my third year of teaching, and a couple of uh, senior staff members, veterans, came up to me and said, Mike, listen, have you seen the job postings in the teacher's room? And the teacher's room was just a place I never, ever went. I was the only male in a school with 30 teachers uh, teaching preschool. And it was an early childhood learning center. And I just never went in there. At lunch, I just hung to myself, listened to music. Um, and they said, Look, there's a vice principal opening at this school next year, and you need to be that vice principal. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, I don't know. I wanted this. And you listen. If you want it, you got to go get it. And uh, they they forced me to write a letter of interest and I submitted it, uh, and a week later I got called in for an interview. Uh, I, when I went into the superintendent's office for the interview, remember, this is my third year of teaching. Oh, I was a very goodness. confident person, but I also knew I didn't know a lot of things. And I was in line for this interview, and I saw a sea of people in a waiting room, all waiting for some type of administrative job. There were two open at the time. It was a principal of an elementary school and the newly created Vice Principal of the Early Learning Center. And I came up and I waited and waited and 90 minutes go by and I'm rehearsing in my head some of the things I want to say. And I finally get in front of four assistant superintendents, three assistant superintendents, and they ask me a series of questions and I have a brand new suit on. Unfortunately, still had the tag on the suit uh, because I didn't <laughs> know I should cut it off my sleeve at the time. Uh, and I uh, went through this series of interviews. I actually enjoyed the interview process. And at the end, the assistant superintendent says, Mike, let me ask you a question. Why are you so confident? And I said, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, compared to the other candidates, you feel I'm confident? They said, well, these people who came in, you saw them in a waiting room. They all have experience in district teaching 10, 20 years. Some of them are vice principals applying for principalship. But you come in here and casually present us with all these solutions, and you're confident about it. I said, I think it's just who I am. Uh, and we we chuckled a little bit, and I left. Uh, and I got a call a week later saying that I was appointed not to the vice principalship, to the principalship of the primary school in town that I didn't <laughs> even consider being a part of. And um, oh my goodness. That was so, and it started a week later. I, I literally was in the classroom the last week of June and July 1st. I was in the, uh, Gregory uh, Elementary School and became the principal there when I was 20, 25 years old. Oh come on! Yeah, it was a pretty cool journey. Um, oh my gosh! Uh, and yeah, so my twenty sixth birthday, I got you know got the news, and I was in that uh, school, and it was that was an amazing experience for me because I really learned tremendous amount about leadership, but also about baptism by fire because uh, anything <laughs> that could happen that year happened that year uh, in terms of construction flaws to the building, um, some pretty serious situations that. Required my leadership. Uh, and also I entered this school that had a 24% literacy rate. Uh, and so oh, I wow. really – and, you know, every – what I started to learn about the staff was they really wanted the best for the children and were ready – they were ready for someone to lead them. Here's a cool story. Three years later, uh, our literacy rates come in. We're over 90%. And we, How did – we oh, took, you got to Tell me well, how. You, you know what? It, it, I wish I could say it was just about me and something I did. It was about creating a culture of people who believed in mm-hmm. what we were trying to do there. And being creative, uh, whether it be offering double time for for literacy skills in creative ways, um, we we started really focusing on skills and comprehension in kindergarten. Uh, and any free moment of time, we we brought the parents in for for uh, read alouds and stories uh, in a systemic mm-hmm. way, not not for like a, a guest reader. I'm talking like a in the hall tutor for that child on specific skills. Uh, in kindergarten, it was sounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, in second grade, it was comprehension. And that was, that was an awesome story because when we were sharing data with our, our team, the teachers were so proud because they knew they, they did it. It was them. And it wasn't a set like, oh, we have to pass the test. It was like, listen, we've got a real urgency here. Let's put some attention toward it. And we did, and the result was pretty amazing. And the teachers were so proud of themselves at the time and what we created. Uh, and then the next piece was a little bittersweet. I got a call from the superintendent and said, "Listen, what you're doing there, we love it. Do you know that your boss, your direct supervisor, is retiring?" And oh I said, my gosh. And I said, "Yeah, <laughs> I, I did know she was leaving." He said, uh, "We didn't see that you applied for it." And I said, "No, I did. Yeah, I didn't. You know," uh, he said you should apply for it, Mike. And I said, uh, okay. I got the hint and I applied for it. And I was appointed at that point um, to supervise the elementary principals in the district. Okay, Uh, stop for a minute. I just have to kind of say, I'm following your journey
0: here. You're so confident, but you're not pushing yourself. Other people see your confidence and see your abilities. And it's like you have champions on your side
1: well that's that's what I mean that's leadership right it's not
0: yeah it's yeah. not
1: just pushing people in a direction it's a, it's actually walking in a direction courageously and looking over your shoulder and hoping people are with you uh, and that's kind of what what my career has been even to this day I mean, I can take a step in a direction but there's if the people aren't behind you when you when you attempt to lead uh, then you're not leading and every huh. six every piece of success we have here today is really a result of Everybody in the organization, from the children as enter as three year olds, all the way to uh, every every instructional assistant, secretary, custodian, classroom teacher—you name it—the entire mix is really important to to each point of success. So you mentioned right when you started, it's the culture. Oh, absolutely. And you be-
0: it, so it seems like. You know What is it that you do to get that culture started right away? I mean, you to go from, what did you say, 24% to 90 oh, yeah, Over 90%, yeah. yeah. Over 90%. What did you do? With, I mean, maybe what did you do? What did you do and the teachers did
1: to it, it, bring that culture or change that culture? I think, um, well, a big piece is expectation, but I also think people will not follow you just because you're charismatic or because you have some energy they they uh, most people want to produce good results Mm uh and but they more than anything want a voice in that process and i i really the all the research i know today about motivation and having a voice it's things that i was doing i just didn't realize there was any research to it uh so whether it entailed listening intently and deeply to my veteran staff when they had a small concern um, or taking suggestions from them, uh, not feeling too proud to implement a suggestion from somebody who maybe might not speak up or might not take on a leadership role. Uh, So that's where I think it really started with uh, like a listening tour, but listening Mm -hmm. deeply and then really hearing what people were saying. And then working to make sure that what they were saying was a solution or was a pathway toward a solution. So the culture started with just listening, and then showing uh, an equal or greater interest in in their success, not just mm-hmm. at the ch- the children's success, but the success of each teacher. Uh, and that's kind of what we uh, what I would love to embody. In any organization, whether it be in Long Branch or at Monmouth University, I want to make sure that the people in my classroom or the people in front of me feel that I'm vested into their success. Well, you know, I'm like you. People have been there to support me. I feel like I'm giving
0: back. It's almost like when you feel that you couldn't have done it really without the people who believe in you. I mean, if, sometimes you have to take that step, but you need a little nudge. And it sounds like what well, you're the you're the nudger, I guess.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> like I, listen, I'm the nudger, but I've also been nudged um, yeah, to, to yeah. do things, and and not sometimes it's for, it's from. I mean, a lot of times it does. It's this is pretty organic. I mean, it's mm-hmm. what the, if you believe in personalized learning, it's it's what do the kids need? What do they want? They want the same thing the adults do. They want mm-hmm. to be heard. They want a choice. They, they want to be engaged. Uh, the adults want the same thing, uh, whether they're an assistant superintendent, a principal, mm-hmm. a teacher, uh, or the, a safe school officer. Uh, it's, it's a formula that works no matter where you're at and no matter who you're working with.
0: So you got my gist here. That's what I do. I, I found that it's, everybody has a story. And if you really listen, you'll be surprised what you learn about people. Sure yeah so we have another story. How did you you ended up superintendent how and when did that happen and tell me a little bit about that
1: sure uh so when I came over to central office to supervise the elementary principals, that was two thousand and four. I worked with the elementary principals for uh two years, and then the person in charge of the elementary principals at central office i mean the middle school and high school principals came up to me and said, Mike, listen, I'm retiring. And uh, I've already talked to the superintendent. We think you'd be right to oversee middle school and high school principals." And I said, that is not my wheelhouse. Middle school and high school, all I've heard were bigger kids, bigger problems, and stay away. And uh, <laughs> he said, Mike, listen, it's it's prime for you. We're creating small learning communities. We've got two new schools being built. You can really take your concepts of of collaborative groups uh, and and these themes that you have at the elementary schools, these magnet themes, and you can weave them right into the middle school and high school into small learning communities. And I really thought about that. I said, wow, this is an opportunity. And I think deep down inside, I'm an artist because I love to create. I love the blank canvas. I love the idea that, wow, I can be on the ground floor of this and let's see where it goes. So I put in for that, uh, interviewed, and was appointed as the district administrator for grades 6 through 12. Worked with middle school and high school uh, for three years. Loved that. We created uh, small learning communities with a a great team of people. Teachers were a big piece in making that happen. Uh, Went to full block scheduling in both environments. Uh, And really, you saw uh, this environment transform over three years, which is awesome. Even to this day... When I can walk in a high school class and it looks like preschool, I know we've all done our job where kids are exploring and discovering and talking and and they understand what they're there for. Uh, That's that's like always been my purpose, that what I did in the classroom and expected uh, in terms of discovery is what high school kids desire. Uh, So when we started seeing (laughs) that transform... Uh, that's when the assistant superintendent at the time said to me, Mike, I'm retiring in a year in 2010. Uh, he said, uh, I'd like I'd like you to put in for it. Uh, I know the superintendent would love to have you on his cabinet. So I did. I was appointed assistant superintendent for uh, a year and a half. And then in April 2011, I became superintendent of schools in Long Branch. And this is my ninth year.
0: You know, I'm, I'm just looking at you starting as a preschool teacher. It's perfect. I wish everyone started, and special ed. I wish everyone started like that. Or I've talked to other superintendents who were music teachers or kind of not conventional. You know, mm-hmm. they, they were out. And I think that opened the door for you. When you said you wish that every high school looked like a preschool I'm into reggio. I mean, mm, you, know, sure. you know what that is reggio? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm into that because I think that kids of all ages are still kids. And they you know, sitting in a chair and listening to someone talk and about something they don't care about is just not working. So let's talk about innovation and all the things
1: you're doing. It, well some of the things that we are doing here is taking that model of that early childhood philosophy and really spreading it uh, throughout the district and and I say we because it's not something I'm doing exclusively it is an understanding that everybody has now that in order for a classroom to meet the needs of children where they're at you know uh, truly their desire uh, of worth it what they want to learn but also how they want to learn it it's Gotta offer opportunities to discover, to explore, and to be engaged. Uh, and so, those lecture-based classrooms are are really a thing of the past. And I think that's what's helped us in many initiatives because if you're if you're proposing an agenda for kids to discover and be engaged and explore, well, a lecture doesn't fit that need. And there's a place and time for yeah. a lecture, and it's it's great to deliver to deliver a concept or content. But if you want children to learn, then we've got to go back to some basic principles of engagement. Uh, So with that, a platform or a framework for engagement does lend itself to some of the initiatives that we're doing that can be perceived as innovative. So if you look at uh, sustainability, uh, if you're looking to have – Uh, sustainable practices embedded throughout the school, then you've got to have some passionate people who understand sustainability. And then you have to have your framework allow for that to be explored and discovered uh, so that um, a language arts lesson can easily incorporate sustainable practices. uh, And Mm -hmm. at the same time, keep learning personalized to what kids love about being healthy and and well being and the same thing I think goes for the future ready initiatives that we're doing in our schools making sure that kids have access not just to uh Not just to shiny new devices like that's the the thing that drives me crazy. It's not about a Chromebook. It's really about how you're using those tools to leverage the things that you want to learn and also to enhance the skills that you need in order to learn the things you want to learn. Uh, And then the last piece is probably everybody's talking about it, but they should be because in preschool, we were talking about it 20 years ago is social emotional learning. We literally mm-hmm. had a domain around social-emotional learning 20 years ago, and it was something we always incorporated, and now I love to go to conferences and hear board members talking about social-emotional learning <laughs> and, and superintendents talking about it because everybody's realizing the, the impact that that has, not mm-hmm. just on um, children, but on the adults that are implementing those practices as well. Uh, So, I I mean, and those are the sparks of innovation that we've been recognized for, uh, which is amazing. I mean, we've got two nationally uh, recognized Green Ribbon schools, um, which and and this school is this. I mean, one of our schools is amazing. There's just a, a few teachers there that are so passionate about sustainable living that they look at every current practice and current seasonal event like a winter chorus or, or uh, some type of concert or a parent night, and they attempt to transform it into a fully sustainable uh, activity uh, where they're, mm. everybody's leaving and learning something new. An example would be we, I went to the spring concert last year instead of having it inside. And think about it. In uh, the country, how many schools are there that do winter and spring concerts? It's like every elementary, middle school, and high school throughout the country does it. They took all the words to every song in that concert and they revamped them to have a message of sustainability with the kids. And oh. and and they took it from inside the auditorium where traditionally the cafetorium, and they moved it into a courtyard outside. So you were in this open outdoor environment with these songs about, you know, healthy living and wellness and breathing and connecting. So And that's what it takes. It takes passionate people in your buildings to kind of really, and and a framework that allows people to explore and discover, uh, to really, uh, to innovate. I want to go. That sounds <laughs> oh, you're so welcome. beautiful. Yeah, I mean, some of our schools, they, there's so many feet that walk through those schools, and it's not just the yeah. kids. We, we are partners uh, to so many districts because we want to share what we're doing, and we also know mm-hmm. that we can steal so many awesome ideas from other people.
0: Well, what we're going to do is put a post together.
1: Great. So we,
0: if you have even a, a – I don't know if you have a video of that concert – Oh yeah, of course we do. Yeah, sure. Oh, we got to put that up because that sounds so beautiful. You know, I God, I could talk to you all day. (laughs) We're gonna have to have you come back because this is this is amazing. Is there you you do have a relationship with higher ed? You mentioned that to me before we talked, but how do you how do you do that with your kids? Do they um, can they graduate early or can they take? classes at the university or college you know community
1: college sure sure i I mean i our greatest partnerships are um i mean with higher ed we have numerous whether it be the Monmouth university football and basketball team reading to our kids or uh they actually do after school tutorials uh after school guidance uh they um because we have a number of field placements that we can use but um also the campus the university campus because it's Mammoth University is is on our border. I mean, part of the university is on the Long Branch City border. So we they give us their facilities whenever we ask. If they if we're wow. having an event that we want over there, they are so accommodating. Uh, so we use them in a number a number of ways, uh, and we will continue to develop that partnership. But also our community college, um, Monmouth, Back in the early 1930s, was the community college for Mammoth county but they eventually morphed into a four-year school and then emerged a new community college called brookdale community college and we have a great partnership with them this year we just opened and this is like a whole nother topic but we just uh renovated after 10 years being closed uh our historic high school that was built in 1925 and it's home to our school of social justice and it is we've got 140 students in there right now we're going to add children each year and what these children are doing is simply amazing they are evaluating and analyzing like deep rooted societal issues in all of their classrooms and they are developing projects and and platforms in in an effort to educate the entire community because they are sick of people being polarized in our society and they want to put the They want to put research to practice and show everybody hey, this is really what occurred uh, uh, during this event, or this statistic. Uh, these are the these are the details of the statistic you heard, whether it be about the rate of uh, African-American unemployment, uh, they take a deep dive into that. Whether it be about a decrease in teen pregnancy, they take a deep dive into those. So the school, mm. I, I mean, this is a school that everybody would want their child to go to because the outcome is, is mm. just amazing. We need to replicate that all over. There That's are, a, I, there's one in your area, apparently there are three or Where? four in the country. Uh, oh. And I think one is in Los Angeles somewhere. It's an Academy of Social Justice. So it's, it's similar to what we're trying to do here.
0: Oh, my goodness. This is, okay, okay. we're going to have you back. <laughs> I have to, you know, pull this together and uh, say, you know, can't get really down as deep as I want to go because uh, there's so much going on at Long, in Long Branch. I can't, I had no idea.
1: Oh, it's great. I'm glad to be, listen, we are a little secret here and we love what we're doing, uh, but we also have such a great spark of diversity. I mean, it is, this community has a high poverty rate for kids, almost 85% of children live in poverty. But at the same time, when 90% of kids are graduating from high school, you know that in between their entry and their exit, that there's so much life and so much spark happening in every classroom and every school. Oh, well, I'm coming
0: out your way. Yeah, in May, sure. So I, I'm gonna. I wish I. I'm gonna have to figure out a way to get out there. But, um, oh, Mike, this was wonderful.
1: It was I, great I, talking to you too.
0: Oh, it's, I'm so glad I got to know you better, and we're going to find out even more when we pull all the information together. Thank you so much for. Being here today,
1: oh no, thank you for having me and i'm I'm glad we connected and we 'll make sure that the the relationship continues uh, so if i 'm out on the west coast, which I will be in february i 'm a little going to be further south though i 'll be in San Diego, so if you happen to be uh, down there, we have the national superintendent's conference uh, down there uh, I'm, this year, I'm one of the governing board members, so I'll be down a couple of days early. I will shoot you a message. Uh, I know you're probably about four or five hours away from there, right? Oh, a little longer. Oh I'm, gosh. I'm up near
0: San Francisco. Yeah, yeah, it's that's about eight, a, hours, eight hours. Eight hours, but that's okay. But don't worry. I know, what we're going to do is put a, uh, let's put up uh, information about that. I know some people that would like to go.
1: Great. So, great.
0: Well, thank you so much. All right, thank you, Barbara. Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Learning podcast and my conversation with Mike Salvatore. Make sure you check out the Complimentary blog post about Mike and his story along with resources and links. I hope you subscribe to my podcast so you can listen at any time from anywhere. And I really welcome your review and would love it if you share out the post with the podcast. By the way, you can also subscribe to my website, BarbaraBray.net to receive announcements and updates so you don't miss any of the conversations.